Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, episode number 11. This podcast goes to 11? No? What? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, on a scale of 1 to 10, it goes to 11. Okay. Uh, ah, I get it. On a, uh, that's so... Do you want to start over? It, it is an 11 out of 10. No, we're not going to start over. Oh, okay, hey, okay. thanks for being here. Today, Stearns is going to talk about 1 Timothy chapter 4 and ministry preparation. But before we do that, as always, we have some thinklings business to tend to. Let's Books talk and about business. Some, oh, he did it! There we go. <laughs> Books and business. The line is, let's talk about some books, and then you get to insert your books in business. So let's talk about some books. Oh, I can start us off. Okay, go ahead. So I'm, uh, I teach apologetics, and I got a book to review from Zondervan called Cultural Apologetics by Paul Gould. Uh, Paul Gould is an apologist, and so it fits very well with my class. I'm going to read it, and it looks very interesting. Um, I'll give you the quickest summary ever. I haven't read the whole thing. I've worked through it. I really enjoy it. He's essentially taking, uh, he's asking this question. He's saying, when you go out to share the gospel or do apologetics, sometimes the culture around you is not ready for it. And his point is that because the culture has shifted so far away from any sort of a worldview that would be accommodating of Christianity, our goal as apologists needs to be to re-enchant the culture to the things above, I guess you could say it like that. So he uses a lot of C.S. Lewis, the baptizing imagination he talks about, essentially he's saying do the work in the culture to get the culture ready to accept Christianity and then you can go out and do apologetics on an individual level. It essentially is basically classical model apologetics at a cultural level. That's my assessment so far. It's been interesting. I'm not going to recommend it per se. I'm still working through it, but it's what I've been reading. Okay, so this is just like off the cuff. We had talked about this Mm -hmm. off mic. Sure. We have talked about on this podcast what makes a good book. If you were thinking through our criteria, yes, and you were going to say on a goodness scale, mm. zero being it's good, but it's like the lowest level of good, okay, and ten being everyone needs to buy this and read this regularly, where would you rate this book on a goodness, a thinkling's goodness scale? I'd say it's over five, but I haven't finished it. I'm only a third of the way through. I would say it for this reason. I'm presuppositional, so I like classical and I like evidential, but I like it in the context of everyone already knows a God exists and they're rebelling Romans chapter one. However, he has a lot of interesting thoughts that I enjoyed, but I don't know that I'm ready to say, is it a nine an eight, a seven, a six? I just don't know yet. But so far it's been interesting. Above I would, five is a strong, is a strong recommendation. Yeah. Well, I would say if you, if you had the chance to read it, go for it. Would I say, go read it right now? There's probably some other books that might be faster. Okay. They're more, more important. I'm going to jump in next. And I'm not going to talk about a book. I'm going to talk about something I have written. Both of the other Thinklings have heard this before. They haven't really heard it, Um, but they have seen it before. What are you reading? Decaf Discoveries is the name of the 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 poem. I I was reading a book about writing. We've mentioned it before, Wilson's Wordsmithy. And it motivated me to read, or motivated, motivated me to write stumbling all over my words which is a great thing to happen right before you read something that you wrote (laughs) 
Yeah, it's it, supposed to be funny. <laughs> why is it decaf discoveries? I mean, don't that's you the drink art, that's caffeinated? The artistic, it's the artistic part of it. It's I needed a deed, and it's yeah. coffee. Oh, so you're just ordering. It's, it's, it's someone who's <laughs> discovering things. I am opposed to decaf coffee in yes, principle. That's right. Just like I'm opposed, but to not in poetry. Not in poetry. It's, it's yeah, and so I'm not consuming it. Okay, so I'm gonna read it. Let's hear it. And it's it's bad, but it's just the idea was. Just imagine you're sitting in a coffee shop and you're going to start looking around the coffee shop and you're noticing things that are going on. Hence, decaf discoveries. Look around the crowded shop and tell me what you see. None other than a motley crop looking for caffeine. The treasures that these people seek are vast and somewhat skewed. For some, a simple cup of tea, but others deeper brews. With frothy beans and dripping leaves, each patron settles in. Each sip a sail filled by the breeze to keep each till the end. First a man, well blessed with age, he has no friends or task. With darkened eye and distant gaze, he quickly drains his flask. Much younger than the aged man, the youthful couple swoons. With drink to share in folded hand, they gather each other's news. Much louder than the youthful pair chirps the group of hens. Their busyness none others care but swiftly move their pens. Then all the rest, a quiet bunch, focused on their screens, mining words their brows all crunch, or clicks their eyes all beam. Behold, look round the empty shop, when this, when is this group renewed? Each morning yields a new crop, just make sure the coffee's brewed. Ooh, that, oh, I like that. Ooh. So yeah, it's... How long did that take you to write? Like how much... Uh, I don't know, probably okay. an hour or two. Okay. I mean, but that was, that was what was happening... I was in a coffee shop and there was an old man over there and there was a couple and then there's a group of, you know, group of hens. Hens, yes. I'll let you interpret the let's phrase. Let's say that. <laughs> but, and that's what they were doing. There's this, there's this little group of, you know, hens talking and, you know, writing things down really quickly and then there's this old man just kind of hanging out, a bunch of people on their screens, you know. And so, yeah, just uh, try to exert the creation of my mind to make something. something. You know, we should, our listeners should try that. We, listener, you should try writing a poem this week. And try hey, to write a better coffee poem than Charlie did. And if you and you can email that to us. Yes. At thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. And if you write something and submit something that is, you know, on the Thinklings goodness scale at all, yeah. we'll, we'll maybe read it on the air. But yeah. we'll, we'll see. Ooh. So, okay, Tim, you've got a book for us. A uh, book for us today, How to Read Daniel by Tremper Longman III. Uh, Longman is a pretty well-known Old Testament scholar. This book is written more on the popular level to the common man. Uh, at first, I had low expectations of the book, How to Read Daniel. Um, Longman is going to be more reformed in his hermeneutics, and so I didn't have very high expectations. And furthermore, a title like How to Read Daniel that just bespeaks hermeneutics and what you genre. Said bespeaks. I like it. <sighs> It's a really mindish word. It is. Oh, brother. That bespeaks of intelligence. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, yeah, keep going. A lot of people, keep they... Keep speaking. <laughs> <laughs> genre studies are very abused uh, among reform scholars, in my opinion. So apocalyptic particularly, they pack their theology into the apocalyptic genre, and then all of a sudden their interpretation of the text is the only right one. But you might have a tough time figuring out what apocalyptic genre is 
when you um, actually look at the Bible. Uh, there's no apocalyptic genre interpretation rules in the Old Testament. Tim so. be speaking truth over there. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm not a big fan of the whole He's apocalyptic genre. This morning, folks. So, but anyway, actually, I was kind of uh, surprised the book was not as as uh, imposing of its theology as I thought it'd be. Uh, for example, um, the one chapter, the theme of the book of Daniel, he has comfort in the midst of oppression, which I didn't really care for. I really see God is the one in control as the theme of the book of Daniel. But as I read through the chapter, he, he then had this th- statement, the primary theme, in spite of present difficulties, God is in control and he will have the final victory. So what Longman has done is said, oh yeah, the theme is God is in control. That is the theme of Daniel. But now, how does that apply to us? See, it's written at the popular level. So God is in control. What should that do for me? Well, that should be a source of comfort. So he, he's changed the theme of the book to more of an applicational theme as opposed to a content theme. So I was okay with that. I thought that was pretty good. And then some of the more questionable exegesis sections like Daniel chapter 9, what is he going to do with the Daniel 70 weeks? And uh, what he basically says is, we aren't sure what this means. So at a popular level book, uh, whatever. But Okay, Tim, just like Andy, if you had to put that book on the thinkling, I'm, I'm air quoting, the thinkling's goodness scale, where would you put it? Well, for me, probably pretty low. I really like to have my mind uh, stimulated, and there wasn't a whole lot of new information. But to give Longman credit, I wasn't reading this book really to have my mind stimulated, but more to be aware of what the book is about. So then if somebody asked me about it, uh, I might be able to recommend or uh, warn them. So I'd probably put it at like a two or a three uh, to average layman. I think they might make it like a five or a six. I think it'd be kind of helpful. They just have to understand Longman's theological um, background position. And just to clarify, the goodness scale necessitates that we find goodness in it. It's not a ranking as in like five is five is not the tilting point between bad and good. A two or three on the goodness scale is still good. Like there's value there. But it's not as good as maybe some other books on Daniel or commentaries on Daniel. Okay, so the Thinkling's goodness sale can go into like the negatives too? Yes. And then, well, maybe we at that level would just call it the Thinkling's badness scale. (laughs) (laughs) And we firmly plant, I pause so we could insert a book title there, and uh, we'll put that on the, yeah, anyway. Okay, with that. (laughs) Let's just say you're not going to see your best life now on the goodness scale. Be somewhere on the badness scale. Okay, Tim, take us into First Timothy. You mean Stearns or Andy? <laughs> Whichever one. It's Tim. It's Andy. Andy. It's Andy. <laughs> We're a little goofy right now, if you cannot tell. But yes, Andy. Andy's going to take us into First Timothy. Okay. So a long time ago, I was working at a church as an intern youth pastor, and I remember. Oh man, all the time that there'd be some question I wouldn't understand. I'd only come to Bible college for like one year and then I dove into a full-time ministry and it just, it was, it was something that showed me how much I needed more preparation. When you're working with people's souls and families and you're shepherding, discipling, and you don't know the word of God very well, you're in a really bad place for ministry. It's very hard, especially when you're the authority and you're the, the sort of pseudo shepherd. I mean, I was an intern, but that's what my task was. I remember thinking, 
is this ever going to change? And so I was reading 1 Timothy one time, and I came to this verse, and it was really helpful for me. It helped me to readjust, number one, my expectations of what this is going to look like. I think I had like a fast food mentality when it came to going in and serving the Lord. And that number two, how long and how much I should be committed to this. So we're going to start in verse 11, because I like to get the context, because that's what you do when you study the Bible. But we're primarily going to focus on verse 15. So a little background. First Timothy is written to Timothy, who I believe is the pastor in Ephesus, and Paul is writing to him to instruct him how to be a shepherd, be a pastor, run things in the church, care for the flock. It's a really good, um, if, if you're going to be a pastor and you're not well acquainted with this book, you need to get well acquainted, acquainted. So in verse 11, he says, command and teach these things. He's been giving them all kinds of stuff to talk about. Verse 12, let no one despise you for your youth but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. I'm going to stop. This is not my point, but I want to say this really quick because I can't not say it. It's not that people can't look down on you because you're young. Paul's saying, don't let that be a reason they look down on you. So it's not that if you are younger in ministry and someone says, yeah, you're only like you know 25 or whatever. It's not that they can't say that. It's that you should act so mature that they would never think of saying that. You should be so much more mature and so much more godly that it would never cross their mind to say, yeah, I don't know about you. You're kind of young. So the point is, if someone says, you know, you're a little young yet, don't turn around and say, Paul says you can't say that. You should actually behave in such a way where they can't say that or they wouldn't say that. So not the point, but that's a really good little nugget there for you. Verse 13, until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching, Verse 14, do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given to you by the laying on of hands. And now here's our, here's our verse. Verse 15, I'm going to read it in three translations. The one I read it in first was the NASB, which I really appreciate. So it says this, it says, take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them. Why? So that your progress will be evident to all. So Timothy's living the ministry life. He's serving God. He's trying to grow in his ability to serve God as a shepherd. And Paul says, take pains with these things. So I thought, I'm going to look that word up. Well, let me read it in two other translations first. The ESV says this, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Well, I mean, think that's a little bit different than the NASB. So there must be some word here that the translators are having a hard time bringing across into English in an adequate way. So here's what the New King James says. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them so that your progress may be evident to all. So I think the key thought here is that Paul is urging Timothy to grow in his ability to serve the Lord. And I think that that application, while we're not all pastors, I think we all need to grow in our ability to serve the Lord. We, we sometimes get this idea that Christian growth is, I don't know that we would ever say it like this. I don't think any of us would think this, but we, we kind of have this idea that if everything's going well, it's probably going to feel easy. And if we do something and it feels hard, then something must be wrong. Something must not be right. But I don't think that's the picture that's being presented here. So I, I would say there's a couple of principles to walk away from this. The, the first is that I think growth 
is you're going to require some mental effort. Second is that growth is going to require consistent effort. And then the third is the result of the mental and consistent effort in growth and godliness and, and serving the Lord is that your progress will be visible to other people. You won't have to say, hey, I'm growing. They will see you growing. So let's walk in that first one. It's the, the verb there where it says practice these things in the ESV or it says take pains. Um, it's, it's a verb in Greek that means to care that you or to improve something by either care or by study, care or by study. So a long time ago, this is going to surprise my two co-hosts here. I was in Taekwondo. I actually got up to a green belt. There's no one who should be afraid of me <laughs> at all. But, um, I improved in that. How did I improve in that? By practicing it, by going long hours to this. And it wasn't even like I tried that hard. Now, growing up, I'd watch plenty of ninja movies, and I'd try to do ninja things. And it was terribly embarrassing. I'm glad, I'm glad like, home videos weren't around as much. I mean, Do you still try to do ninja things? No, unless it's grab my coffee mug that's falling, and then I try to move as fast as humanly possible. Of course. Uh, but no, I, I generally don't. Unless my son's, like, wrestling with me. And usually, if I do... I, I pull a muscle and it's not good. Yikes. You guys are so old. <clears throat> well, you know, I've had 11 29th birthdays, Charlie. So Amen. Like, that's a lot of 29th I birthdays. I have not yet had my first, but I will. Well, as one who's had 11, here. it's coming. <laughs> <clears throat> so I looked up, I'm tracing this word down because uh, the other definition you can find for it is to fix your mind on something, to think about it, to meditate upon it, and to practice or to think, or it seems like contrary ideas. So if you look at the whole family of words, some of them mean meditate. And then later they talk about caring, like having cares. So, you know, when it says like, like this, that guy's full of cares or he's anxious or worried. The idea is all, almost not exactly almost like care about this that much. The, the point here though, is that you're giving a lot of mental focus to the thing that you're doing. Now, just pause really quick here. If you are preparing to serve God, and, and to our students at our school who are preparing for ministry, this is directly applicational. But to all of us who are trying to live out Romans 12, 1 and 2, who, to all of us who volunteer at church and try to disciple one another and try to share the gospel and try to help build one another up, this is going to take effort. It is not something that just comes naturally. And I think that's the idea we get. You have to spend time in the Word, spend time thinking, spend time praying, and spend time talking to other believers. And so if, if you want to grow, it's not something you do by yourself. And it's not something you do with no effort. And that's actually the next word. I would say that growth requires consistent effort. This is the coolest part. So all the translations use a different term for that second verb. The, they say either, Nasby says, be absorbed. Now, when I think of that, I think like a sponge that's soaked up a bunch of water. ESV says, immerse yourself in. I almost, I, it's like I'm wading into a pool and the water's up to my neck. Okay, I'm like, I'm immersed in it. The New King James says, give yourself entirely to it. Like you're fully giving yourself over to it. The Greek verb is literally just be. It's a command to be. So you could literally say, be in these things. Like your whole existence should revolve around these things. Man, that is a really convicting statement. So think about this, like many Christians are like, yeah, I'm going to be a Christian. Yeah, I'm going to do the Christian life. 
but there's like me time or there's like this part of my life that I get to do. And for the one who's living the life of ministry, there's no space for you not to be, to be seeking to serve God, to grow in your walk with Christ. And I would say that since the pastor is an example to all, those who are not in full-time ministry, you need to consider how many, how much your life is being about ministering to God and how much you've reserved back for yourself. The really cool part about working in a Bible college is, and we've all experienced this, we see freshmen come in in various states of sanctification. That's how we'll say it. We'll say that. And we have the privilege of expending some serious effort, seriously, working with those students, going through the deep waters with them. I'm thinking of one or two in my mind who, as a freshman, we started meeting, and they they were their own bird, their own person. Like, if you'd met me as a freshman, yeah, it, I was a I was I was a mess. I was a mess. And and we watched them for four years devote themselves, take pains with their studies, with their sanctification, walking through these difficult issues. And senior year comes, and the progress in their walk with Christ is evident. So the encouragement is that if you're trying to walk the Christian life and it feels difficult, don't let that deter you. That's it biblical. It should. It should yeah. be. It should feel difficult. It is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the, the war against the flesh and the spirit is a war. It's a battle. So... Um, I guess what I would say is that helped me to think that way. It helped me to think this is going to be effort. This is going to be hard. This can be work, but that's okay. That's fine. Yeah. That's really interesting. I, I had never noticed. I was looking at that verb there. It's is the, is the, and I'm like, man, what is that? What type of me verb is that? It's just a me. <laughs> and I'm like, wow. So it's, if you very literally translate those first two phrases of verse 15, Mm-hmm. These things practice yep. in them be. be. Yep. That people would see your progress. Yeah. Yep. That you progress all would yeah. be to it would be revealed to all your progress. So, so I guess if we're thinking like what is this looking like in life, what mm-hmm. what are some questions our listeners could ask themselves that would help them to see how they're doing on this scale? Any guys have well, any thoughts? I do. And it's and you just think about, now, this is a little bit of a stretch. Okay. But I'm sure that you looked this up. when, Again, we when you look up a word in Greek, you're probably going to look it up in BDAG, like the lexicon. And there's actually an early church father that uses this same word, the word, that first verb, the practice, the take pains with. And it's actually in the epistle of Barnabas. And he says in the Epistle of Barnabas, and this this is in BDAG, it references mm-hmm. this. It says to take pains with the fear of God. Mm. So like we, we've had a podcast already, I think it was yes. episode three. Yep. We talked about what is it to understand how to fear the Lord. And here was an early church father using the same idea in, in the vein of sanctification, saying you need to practice the fear of the Lord. You need to, you need to take pain to understand the fear of the Lord, to learn to love him. And, you know, and that's not super, that's not like a concrete mm-hmm. thing that someone does, but, you know, insert that. If you haven't listened to that podcast, go back and listen to it. It's an intellectual thing where I have to learn something about the Lord. And then it's what I learn that then drives my affections. And so that, that would be a way we put this into practice 
we we learn to fear the Lord would be a way that I okay. take pains to yeah. make progress. Ooh, that's good. I was just looking at the Epistle of Barnabas as well. He uses it in connection to fearing the Lord as well. That verb is very interesting. It only occurs a couple of times in the New Testament. But yeah, but yeah that's... Um, I don't really have a whole lot to add. I would uh, the Christian life take pains, work, yeah. and do it. Actually, if the command is practice these things and be in them, the, the you could reverse that as an application meditation. What are you currently practicing? What are you currently taking pains with? And then, if someone were to look at your your life and say, "This is what you are being in," what would their answer be? And that actually might be, since we're often saying, don't let the conversation stop here like you you have this with your friends, maybe this is something you get into the scriptures and you ask yourself, what do I practice habitually? Like, what's the thing that I do? And then what is the thing that I that would characterize me? Have Ask that to a friend who knows you well. What would they, like, and have them be honest with you. You're shaking your head here. You want to? Yeah, well, as you were, that, that phrase, be in this, be in this thing, these things. There's a professor that used to teach intro to Bible study. Oh, yes. Now now Andy teaches that. But when I was a student at Faith, it was Dr. Cole who taught intro to Bible study. And for most freshmen, that was the very first class that they had at Faith. 7 a.m., Monday, Wednesday, Friday, introduction to Bible study. And I could clearly say I was not ready for that class. Oh, it was so good. I was, I was not ready for that material, yep. just in a maturity level. I was, mm-hmm. And there's something that he said the first day, and he said often, he would always say, be here now. Yes. And you think about the propensity for a college student to be everywhere else. <laughs> they want to be home. They don't want to be in class. They want to be taking a nap. They want to be having fun, but they don't want to be in. Yes this yep. thing that they need to be in. They need to be mm-hmm. a student. And they need to be here to do that. And that's not just a student academically, be, be a student of the word. Yes. You need, to, you need to be here. You need to be existing in these things for them to be profitable for you. And that's, and that's maybe a removal of the desires that want to take you somewhere else. Yeah, if you think about this, Timothy's calling by God is to serve him full time. But God has a different plan for each of our lives. So you could actually broaden this out to what other, like, what is the thing God's calling you to be in? And you might say, well, how do I know? Well, there's a couple of things. Number one, are you married? If you're a listener and you're married, then guess what? Your ministry is to be in your marriage. So, like, don't give it no time. Don't be distracted. Don't be taken away from it. Like, be in it. Be in learning to be a spouse that's a godly spouse. What if you're a parent? Be in as a parent. Uh, don't always be dodging responsibilities. Like maybe you re- you're like, oh, I just got to wait until they're 18 and then I can be free. No, take the effort, take the pain to get in the word and see what a biblical parent looks like. You could do that with any number of vocations that you have in life. And I think if you're doing those things to serve the Lord, the application is the same. Well, a lot to think about there. And we hope that this is a challenge and encouraged you. We'll see you next time on the Thinklings Podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thinklings Podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email, thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end 
with this podcast. Read good books, talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings Podcast.